understanding the power of the seed. Understanding the power of the seed. Let's walk through this. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29. The gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4, verse 26 to 29. Jesus Christ is the one speaking here. And Jesus Christ is now laying out a principle for you and I, or principles to live by, which applies to every area of our lives, including finances. But generally speaking, every area of our life, Jesus Christ is laying out a general principle for us, okay, to live by. In Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 29, this is what it says. The kingdom of God is like a man that scatters seed on the ground, okay? In verse 27, and he sleeps by night, rises by day, but the, spirit, the seed sprouts and grows, and he himself does not know how. He does not know how that happens. But the earth yields crops by itself. Verse 28, the blade, the head, and after that, the full grain in the head. Verse 29, but when the grain ripens, immediately the man puts in the sickle, a tool, right, to harvest. Why? Because the harvest has come. But notice that the harvest came because the seed was scattered. So then, we're going to look at this thing. Look at this statement, please. Keep this statement in mind. The quality and the quantity of your harvest. Please, understand this. Because I'm going to make some statements now that some of you might think this is blasphemous or erroneous, but it's not. It's scriptural. But keep this statement in mind. The quality and the quantity of your harvest is determined by the quantity and quality of your seed. Your seed. Many people don't know. Please listen carefully to me. Many people don't know that they have control or decision-making power over their own future. Many Christians erroneously feel that everything is up to, just up to God. <laughs> While it is true that God is sovereign, okay, God is sovereign, nevertheless, God has given you and I a mandate and a responsibility to become active participants in our own lives. So to some extent, to a large extent, I might say, we have a role to play in how our lives turn out. And part of what God has given us is to understand the seed principle. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, look at what it says. He who sows sparingly, come on now, will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap how? Come on. Now, this is telling you already. Notice something very first and foremost. This is the word of God. But if you look at this verse of scripture, you won't see the, the word God or Lord or Jesus or Christ in this verse of scripture. Why? Because this verse of scripture is telling you, is telling you, this I say to you, he, that's you and me, that's talking about man, he, you. So you are the one that can control what the harvest is going to look like. It's, do I want a bountiful harvest? Well, I do. All right, so if you do, sow a bountiful seed. Uh, do I want a, a harvest that's not bountiful, maybe sparing harvest? No, very, very, very scarce, very sparse. All right, sure, then you do that. So from the time you plant, you automatically determine your harvest. Not in the time of harvest, but from the time you plant. It is determined from the time you plant. Now, one thing you have to understand is this. The soil, the soil does not discriminate against any gender. The soil, the ground, does not discriminate against gender, does not discriminate against um, um, race, has no discrimination against anything. The soil is no respecter of persons. So if I go in there and I plant, I will reap what I've sown. 
Somebody that is different from me, a lady goes there and plants, she's going to reap. Somebody that's educated, non-educated, you will reap what you sow. Sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, bountifully, then you also reap bountifully. Very important. So then, let's move quickly. What are the four most important seeds in your life? This is something God gave to me many years ago, and I applied, and, and there are many other people in the house that have applied this, and they've seen huge, I've seen the way their lives have turned out. The, the four most important seeds in your life, pay attention please, the first most important seed in your life is actually this, your life. Huh? Yeah. Your, from God's point of view, he sees the totality of your life as a seed. You, as a person, you are a seed. So God sees your life as a seed. Please pay attention. Okay? In John chapter 12, verse 23 to 25, Gospel according to John chapter 12, verse 23 to 25, this is what it says. Jesus answered and said to them, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And most assuredly I say to you, unless, a, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Produces, produces, sounds like the word, same word, productive Productivity produces productive productivity. Jesus Christ is speaking about himself here. Okay, he's speaking about his own life here. Okay, then he now goes on to say, He who loves his life, life will lose it. <laughs> he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. John 12 25. But you know, that is. Um, that is the NKJV version of the Bible. Let's look at the message translation because, you know, it's a little bit more contemporary, right? Message translation, John chapter 12, verse 24 to 25. Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. Anyone, anyone who holds on to their life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let go, reckless in your love, you will have it forever, real and eternal. I pray that will be your portion in Jesus' name. So the question is, here then, the message transition is thrown more light to it, right? It's telling us that reckless in love. So when it says, NKJV says, if you hate his life, it's not saying that you should be, you should hate your life, you should have a, uh, uh, you should see your life as a depreciating value and all of that. No. It's saying to be reckless in love with God. You know, we sing that song, Reckless love, and we sing the song from God's point of view, as in God loves us, God's love for us is reckless, which is true. Which is true. For God demonstrated his love for us, for you, that while you and I were still sinners, God saved us. That's the good news of the gospel. Christ died for us. But we, in response to the love of God, we also then must love him because he first loved us. So the quick question then, is how do you give your life as a seed? How do I give my life as a seed? Pastor, how do I do that? So let me show you how to do that. Are you ready? I'll show you two things, then we're going to continue next week. How do we give our lives as a seed? Number one, by consciously making God your first and highest priority. By consciously, it's not going to happen, friends, accidentally. No, no. It's a conscious decision you have to make. By consciously 
making God your first and highest priority in life. It's not going to happen accidentally. Nobody's going to stumble into a meaningful relationship with God. You're not going to wake up one morning and say, oosh, oosh, something happened overnight. I feel I'm really close to God now. It's not going to happen accidentally. Just like you're not going to sleep and wake up in the morning and say, oosh, oosh, I feel like I'm a medical doctor now. I'm going to go and practice. <laughs> no, if you want to be a medical doctor, you consciously apply to sit MCAT. And if you sit MCAT and MCAT doesn't sit you, <laughs> then you're not going to be a medical doctor. Not in North America anyway. You know? So you have to consciously make a decision that, you know what? From this moment, I'm going to make God my first and highest priority. Matthew 6.33 and Hebrew 11.6. Let's walk through that. Matthew 6.33, you know, let's start from, let's just, let's, let's look at this one. The Living Bible, Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Don't worry at all about having enough food or, or clothing. Why be like the hidden? The unbelievers, that's what he refers to as hidden. For they take pride in all these things and are deeply concerned about food, clothing, what they wear, and all of that. He said, but your heavenly father already knows perfectly well what you need. He said to you, them things you are worried about. I need a job. I need a job. I just came out of school. I need a job. How do I go to this? How do I find a job? How do I get this? I want to get a relationship. How do I get a relationship? How do I do that? He says, God knows you have need of those things. Then he goes on to say, look at what it says in the Living Bible translation, and he will give them to you on this condition if you give him first place in your life as he wants you to. Now, what I have found out is that Christianity is the only place in the world where people want to get value without exchanging value for it. If you go from here now, from this building, and you step outside, there's a fast food restaurant just three minutes walk from here. And you step in that into that fast food restaurant and you're hungry. You're hungry. Legitimately, you're hungry. And you get to the food counter and you order for some burgers, fries, milkshake, and so on and so forth. And um, they give it to you and they tell you so and so and so. You order for it and you step back and you go wait to receive it. And you want to get it back. They tell you, no, 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 no. They didn't put it into the system. And you say, but I've been waiting here for one hour. I was here. I'm hungry. I've been waiting here for one hour. The people are going to look at you and, are you okay? Seriously? You have to exchange value for it first. We all understand and take that. Now, okay, that's fine. That's legitimate. You know what? If I go into the restaurant, I might be hungry. But my hunger, just being hungry alone, does not qualify me for them to serve me food. We agree to that premise. That's how society runs very well because we all agree to that premise. If you're going to your house now, let's say you live 30 minutes drive away and you didn't bring your car and you call Uber, okay? You agree automatically on the premise that if Uber is supplying you a car and a driver to take you from where you are now to where you're going, you also have to give them from value. It's only when we come to church in the kingdom of God that we automatically assume in our relationship with God that we don't have to give anything to God. That God will just, you know, it will just make our lives turn out. But the scripture is actually full of, please write this down, what is called conditional promises. Please write it down. This will help you in your general life. This will help you in everything you do. The Bible is full of conditional promises. Conditional promises, of course, just like it says, are promises that will never be triggered until the conditions are met. They will only be triggered when the conditions are met. If you are willing and obedient you will eat the fruit of the land. If you are willing and obedient, 
Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19, you will eat the food of the ground. Of the, of the, of the ground. He will give them to you if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. Whatever I say you're looking for, your heavenly father knows you have need of them. He will give them to you on the premise that you give him first place in your life. So then we have many Christians, from my experience of serving as a pastor for this number of years, I've come across thousands of people in different continents where I've gone to preach different places that want God to give them his best without them even giving God their worst. And this thing doesn't work that way. So people are frustrated. They're frustrated. They've been around the block, been in church five years, ten years, and they're wondering, how come my life is not really turning out? Because people have not consciously decided to make God, to give God first place in their lives. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that God is, and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me give you the New Living Translation, then I'll talk about this in a few minutes. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that rewards God rewards those who sincerely seek him. Let me say this to you then. Let me explain this to you. Many people, as deceived by Satan, think that God is a user. Some people think God is a user. God will just use you. You know, you do all this stuff and all of that. They tell you all this stuff you got to do in church. You know, do this, do this, do this, you know, and then the life doesn't turn out. God just uses you anyhow. Some even think that God is an abuser, that God just abuses your life, messes up your life. There is a natural fear that God might not be competent enough, that God might not be good enough to handle your life. Guess what? I had those fears more than anybody. I went to school and trained as a pharmacist. Came out of school as a pharmacist at a very young age, got a fantastic job and long story, cut long story short, came into this country to practice pharmacy as a skilled immigrant. Then, the calling of God, which predates my birth, according to scripture, was triggered in me. Then I have to serve as a pastor. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I have to be, I'm being honest with you, I'm being open with you. It wasn't the most exciting thing in my life. It wasn't what I want. It wasn't what I expected. But it was what I needed. So it was a struggle for me for the initial part of it. A struggle. It was a big struggle for me. I remember the first couple of months, I, I struggled. Because, and my struggle was not because I didn't love God or I didn't, I didn't, it was because my thing was, listen, if I pour myself into this thing, how will it turn out? I needed to know that God, will, that I will not just do this and end up on the sideways of, sidewalk of life. So in order to get that level of assurance, I couldn't get it from man. I had to dive deep into a study of the Bible myself. And one of the things that encouraged me and inspired me to do it is the fact that God is a rewarder. God, like I, I prefer this translation, God is a rewarder. What that means is this. That means that God looks at you has rewards with him that he wants to bless you with, then says to you, can you help me do this? But he already has something in mind. But he knows that what he has in mind, you can't, he, he, he legitimately can't give it to you until you take one or two steps in doing something. Why? So that it can be justified why he has given it to you and didn't give it to him. 
So that God can have the justification. If somebody comes to him and says, oh, but look at Josiah, you, you did this for him. What about me? God can have the justification. He says, yeah, yeah, that's right. I did it for him. And the reason why I did it for him is because he did this. So that was his reward. Does anybody understand what I've just said? So, God, so God, when God has his reward with him, then he invites you for you to take a step. In the book of Luke chapter 5, he has a reward in the mind for Peter to catch fish for his net to break and his boat to be sinking. Then he told Peter, can I step into your boat? Can I use your boat to preach? But he already had what he was going to do in his mind. So the Bible said, after he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, launch out into the deep for a catch. Then Peter caught so much that he couldn't even handle. You see, friends, and God started showing me that he's a rewarder. It is the deception of the enemy to think that being a Christian that you're being cheated. I almost fell for that deception myself. I just told you my story. It's a deception of the enemy. It's a well-woven deception that has actually messed up a lot of people. Some people feel that, you know, I'm being denied a lot of fun out there. There's just so much fun, so much fun going out there. How can I now say I'm a Christian now and I'm not being part of that fun? Part of that fun. That's the deception of the enemy. And for you at this age now, it might look like it's not making sense to you, but trust me, when I tell you this, you know, I can tell you for sure, and you can ask any other person that, you know, has lived this life as a Christian for an appreciable time. I've been a Christian since 1995. That's 26 years now. June 1995, that's over 26 years now. You know, <laughs> what you call fun out there is just a label the enemy puts on it and calls it fun. The real word is what the Bible calls the temporary or passing pleasures of sin. Okay? But the enemy changes the nomenclature and calls it fun. So passing pleasures of sin means, yes, the Bible acknowledges that in the temporary, transient, immediate moment, there's pleasure in it, but there's a longer-term regret for that action. Are you understanding? Anybody understand what I'm saying? There's a longer-term regret. For, you know, when I, was, when, I was, when I came out of university at the age of 21, when I started working as a pharmacist, one of my first jobs was working in the teaching hospital. The teaching hospital in Lagos, Nigeria. Lagos University Teaching Hospital as a pharmacist. I had a friend that were in university together, my best friend in university. So we both applied to this job together and we started working together. Um, incidentally, this friend of mine, you know, he doesn't smoke, doesn't smoke. Um, but I happen to be a man of many gifts and a man of, a man of many bats. Okay, don't look at me strangely, I wasn't a Christian, okay? I said I wasn't born again yet. I got born again in 1995. So I'm talking of 1992 now. So I came out, and hey, this is life. I mean, a young man. I have money. I have an official car. Well, I'm, this is Africa now, right? I have a driver. So I go anywhere I want to go. I have floats, money, spend the way I want to spend, expense the company. I had all of this thing. I thought it was fun. You know, I look back at my life now. Several times I almost died. There were days I woke up, I did not know where I was. I did not know which city. Which state I was in. Somebody had said, you know, there's a party somewhere. We're going to go to that party. And another person will get to that party. Another person said, hey, my man, what's happening? So, my brother, cousin, something, brothers, neighbors, uncles, mothers, junior sister. He's having a party another two hours drive away. Oh, really? Ah, it's fun. So and so is there. So and so is there. Oh, Mike, why not? Let's go. 1 a.m. in the morning. Jump into the car. We start driving. By the time you get, you don't even know where you are anymore. Figure yourself in your place. A lot of danger. I'm sure that if not for the calling God has on my life, uh, because many of my mates died, there was one particular night I remember. I was coming from a nightclub. I was perhaps age 23. I was coming from a nightclub. There were four of us at that nightclub. We were all in the spirit. <laughs> I did not say filled with the Holy Spirit, but we were in the spirit. You know, we're all in the spirit. 
we're all in spirit. And um, when we stood up from our chairs to say, okay, let's start going, it was around 3 a.m. We we're going to drive. And it was my, of course, it was my car. My driver had been long dismissed so, um, to go home on that for that night. So we're going to drive. So who's going to drive? The four of us can drive, but who's, who's going to take it? Who's going to drive now? Uh, this one said, I'll drive. So give me the key, I'll drive. Ah, no, so no, no, no. no. You, you can't drive. You can't even collect the key. Say, this is the key. So, give me, let me, let me drive. And he's moving back. Say, no, you can't drive. So what we did was that we played a game that we normally play, which technically is actually a Russian roulette. We took out the coin in our pocket. And we're going to toss the coin. So say, you, you go to drive? You say, yeah, I'm going to drive. I can drive. I can drive now. I can drive. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay, all right. So, so we toss the coin. Catch it. If you can catch it, I... Our friends, it's not as easy as you. You know, you know when, you are, when you are the way you are, you're sober, and someone touches the coin, what is the problem? Just pick it up. <laughs> but when you're in the spirit, and you see the coin rolling, <laughs> sometimes you might not even see only one. You might see four or five. So we touched the coin, touched the coin. The first person did this, did this. He couldn't catch any. He didn't even see the coin. So we said, no, no, you can't drive. Second person, did the same thing, could find. The third person was not even looking up. We were just looking. <laughs> so we knew, we knew that the, your case is very, very strange. You can't go anywhere. So the last person that was told to catch a coin, he didn't even catch it, but he almost caught it. So we said, okay, all right. The four of us are, none of us is, you are the least drunk. So we elected him and gave him the key. Take us home safely. I remember clearly, I was sitting at the back, so he was in the front. The most drunk was in the front with him. That one was completely asleep. And we're going. 20 minutes into the journey, we found ourselves under an 18-wheeler truck. <laughs> then somehow, anyway, long story short, eventually we got home. Went, no, because this is not a place where I... Thank God none of us were. We didn't have bodily injury and all of that. <laughs> we came out of the car and all of that. We got home. One of us that was there, as we came out of the car, it's because people had come out of their own different cars, he saw a lady. It was, it was on the bridge. He saw a lady that had come out of her own car, maybe with some other people. He just came out of an accident. He woke up and said, hey, hello, hi, how are you? That is when you know somebody that is really deep in the spirit is completely <laughs> oblivious of his environment. He just put up his pocket, say, hey, hi, hi, how are you? What's, the, what's going on? I do, you know, nice, you know, oh, you look so great, you know, you're looking nice. I said, what's wrong with this guy? By that time, my own spiritual, uh, you know, uh, uh, depth, I'd risen like a submarine back to the surface. I can see clearly now. <laughs> the rain is gone. So I can see. I got home anyway. Arranged it very good for we got home. By the time I got, I got back home, of course, I couldn't tell my parents anything. So I slept off. About 8 a.m. in the morning, I got a knock on my door. The guy that drove got back home. He was just vomiting, throwing up, throwing up, couldn't sleep. You know. So the parents were like, where did you go? And the stupid boy. <laughs> stupid boy. Instead of him to say, I went out and I messed up. He said, he mentioned my name. He said, I went out with this, and we took his car. The mother said, you went out with that boy. The mother said, don't worry, I'll go to the house. And this is, you know, this is Africa. You do this in Africa. And came and knocked on my door. Suddenly my mother, my, my mom came out and my dad said, eh, hope, how can we help you? He said, your son took my son, you know, and you know more that. My mom said, my son? While my mom was going to start defending my dad, I said, no, 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 no. Thank you so much for coming to report. We will see to it, which basically means a meeting was going to be called of the United Nations. So my, my dad dismissed the woman, thanked her, and apologized for what his son has done. I came and called my name, hey, come here. And I came and said, where did you go yesterday night? Me? <laughs> I don't know if you have any situations where they're talking to only you and you're looking back. You're the only one in the room. 
Me? Where do you go? I didn't go anywhere. Typical. Then my dad says, I will ask you one more time. And this time around, every part of your brain, you could just feel your brain moving to gear. Just that, you know, you know in, in Africa at that time, there's no need for a lie detector test. There's, no, there's nobody to attach anything to your body to know if you're lying. This will I experience enough just say, you have one more chance. I'm going to ask you the question once again. And I don't need to let you know what's going to happen if you don't tell me the truth. Where did you go yesterday night? You wait for a few seconds because you're trying to articulate by the wisdom of God in a way that you will say it that will reduce the judicial activity that is about to happen. So, <laughs> so I said, uh, a couple of my friends, they were just celebrating something. So we kind of like went out, hung out. So that's where we went. So, okay. So what did you do there? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> just a few drinks. My last, a few, a few. And that other guy, I said, I don't know what he do, but me, I'm not, I'm fine, you know. I thought at that point that I was, you're missing out if you don't do that, no. You know, my dad, who was not born again, I thought he was going to discipline me, the African way, but actually, he didn't discipline me. What he did for me was so amazing. He just said, you know what, he said, we need to talk. He sat me down and he explained some things to me. He spoke to me about his own life and told me, you know what? You think that this thing is fun now. He said, and you know, as that time when he was telling me, my dad was in his 50s. He said, trust me. Trust me. He said, if you continue in this path, you won't need to get to the age of 30 before you regret it. So you will regret it. He said, so I'm telling you now, what you think is fun, he said, but if you discipline yourself and you don't run in that, with that crowd, you will look back. Now it might not make sense to you, but you will look back later on. And you will thank me I had this conversation with you. As truly, that's what has happened. That's what has happened to me. Listen to me, friends. God is not trying to deny you of having fun. God is trying to elevate you so that you can have a permanent dimension of fun. That's what it's all about. He's a rewarder. It's not using people. You've heard so many times that people will tell you, oh, you know what, in church, you know, you go to these churches and these churches tell you, oh, you got to do this, oh, you got to serve, oh, you got to commit yourself to God, oh, come and volunteer, oh, volunteer. Oh, they keep on calling for volunteers and volunteers and the church just runs on the volunteer system. And of course, we have a very wonderful ministry of helps here in House of Prayers. We're coming in, you saw some people at the registration desk. These are all volunteers. Can we appreciate all the volunteers? Come on. Amazing set of people. Amazing. In the traffic department, everywhere, all of these guys, they're all volunteers on the camera, at the back, technical team, they're all volunteers, you know, putting all of this together. But what we have to understand is this. You can't do that without God rewarding you. Um, Ife, where's Ife again? The guy that welcomed you here, Ife, he must be somewhere around. Okay, that welcomed you. Let me just tell you a quick part of his story. Last year, this happened last year. Last year during the lockdown, initial phase of the lockdown, lockdown, when everything was locked down, nobody knew how the economy was going to turn out, things were going south very fast. Ife happened, now Ife has a bachelor's degree, he has a master's degree, bachelor's degree in economics, he has the master's degree in finance, he has an MBA, so two master's degree, so one bachelor's degree, you know, he has all this, what else? he had, before he went to his MBA, he had a top job at Bank of Montreal, very wonderful job in the investment arm of Bank of Montreal, then you know what? He decided that he wanted to further again, he wanted to get an MBA because he didn't just want to be a technical person in the area of finances, which he was very good at, but he wanted also to have some knowledge in the area of management. So he decided to go back to school and left that job. 
So on his way, you know, he thought initially that, you know, just coming out of school, it was going to be easy. He was going to plug back into the economy and just get a good job. And, now, and he had been speaking to some people, you know, things have been looking rosy. But all of a sudden, the economy has changed. The wind changed. And everybody started saying, no, we put things on hold now. We put things on hold now. When they call this person, oh, sorry, yeah, we put a bit, things a bit on hold now. Qualified, experienced already, but we put things on hold. We put things on hold. <sighs> Seriously? Things were on hold. Then suddenly, the, lock, the, the lockdown came. Churches cannot even walk out. We cannot even meet like this. We can only allow five people to come in. So I called the meeting and I said, you know what? We're going to be streaming our services from the conference room just on the other side of this hall, this wall. We're going to be streaming the service and I need somebody, I need somebody to play the keyboard, I need somebody to do the camera, somebody to do the technical, just five of us there about. Then if he volunteered and said, I'll do it. So I said, oh, praise God, if that's good, you can play the keyboard, so why not, why not? let's do it. So he started doing it. First month, second month he was doing it. By the time we're entering the third month, I felt bad for him that he was coming in Fridays and Sundays doing this. I remember he's a volunteer. I felt bad for him. So I went to him and I said, Ife, you know what, you're doing this, and I, I, I get this, and I appreciate this, you know. Uh, I've been talking to the leader of the uh, instrumentalist and, you know, the, the, the choir, and they've tried to work out something. Somebody else is also going to come in and do part of this for you. And he said something to me. He said, no, he said, Pastor, it's something I, I want to do. I want to do it. I want to serve. At that time, I couldn't do anything. So I said, all right, all right. So I don't want anybody to come on. I just, I want to do it. If I, if I can't do it again, I'll let you know. I just want, but I want to do it. He said, I'll do it. I knew he was trusting God for a job. He asked me, Pastor, pray for me. I pray for him. But, you know, things did not seem to be moving. But as he was serving and serving, because that's what the Bible says. He served. And as he was serving, somebody would say, oh, you're just using the people. But he knew what he was doing. As he was serving, suddenly an opportunity opened up. When the, right in the pandemic, the opportunity opened up for him. It was just what, as Christians, we call miraculous. You know, it wasn't, it was just, it just opened up for him miraculously. He applied. They were going to give him a very good position. He applied. And, you know, things were a little bit initially here and there. They're telling him, oh, we'll get back to you, we'll get back to you, we'll get back to you. All right, we really like you. We're, good. We're thinking of moving to the next stage, but we'll get back to you. Oh, sorry, the person's not on seat. They will resume on Monday. Oh, they're on vacation. And I told him, then one day I called him. I said, I was praying at home. And I just felt restless in my spirit that this is the time. So I called him and I said, if you're far with that thing, he told me, I said, you know what? Your employment is ready. It just needs a bit of a push. So of course he was doing his own part. Then I prayed for him. And lo and behold, he got this fantastic, fantastic job that before he now got married and moved to a bigger mansion. That was the walking distance from his previous house. <laughs> Praise God. Then I'm, I can give you stories of stories and stories of people here. I'm not talking of people that are outside of, in the Bible, yes, but people that I know that are here. The same thing with David's wife. Chini, same thing, you know. Uh, the people that you saw when we had the professional relationships, uh, and I spoke here, uh, talking about professional relationships, you know, my daughter that spoke here some four or five Sundays ago uh, in Ignite Church here, all of these people are made on the, on the platform of the fact that they made up their mind they were going to put, make God their first and highest priority. They were going to have a personal relationship with God in praying, in worshiping God, in obeying God. Praise God. So that's the first way we give our lives. Second way, let's put this together and wrap this up, is by loving people. By loving people. You know, you know, <laughs> the most difficult creation of God to love is human being. If you have not discovered that, just look at your neighbor, you will know. The very, human beings are human, <laughs> very difficult. It's easier to love a dog, to love a cat. That's why people love pets. You see a cat, you can love the cat, you can love the dog, you can love pets. 
People even love wild cats. People have wild cats as pets. Lion, Dagua, tiger. Why? Because human nature. <laughs> so let's look at a few scriptures and see what Jesus said. In John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, as I've loved you, you should love one another. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said we should love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another, if we love each other, Jesus said the world will see how we love each other and they will say, wow, this is not normal. This is not normal. Why, why are they loving each other like that? This is not normal. Now, now, let me show you another scripture. First John 3, 14 to 18. Let's walk through this one. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Dead as in dead in their sins. Verse 15. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. This is the word of God. And you know that murderers have, don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Did you see that? We ought to do that. And verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need and shows no compassion, 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 how can God's love be in that person? How? Verse 18 there. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So let me explain some things to you quickly about love. Usually when we talk about love, uh, you know, <laughs> when you're young, particularly at your age right now, you know, it's a word that is bounced around a lot. You know, uh, people use it for different reasons. Sometimes some people, strangely, when they want to ask about relationships in your life, they ask you as your love life. Some people love to them means equates to sex. You know, instead of, you know, he made love to her. She made love to him. To them, that what they're saying is sex. For some people, love is lost. Okay? You see a, lot, you see a lady, all of the chemicals in your body are at their premium level of activity. Okay? No, 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 listen to me, listen to me. There's nothing wrong in that. It's just chemicals, hormones. So, you see a lady, you're talking to a guy, you're talking to a guy, he's saying, hi, my man, how was service, oh, man? Great, man. How you doing? How was week? Week, good, man. You know, you're talking, talking, suddenly you see a lady. And the man says, hey, 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 hey. So, I see you. Hey, see, all of that is chemical activity. You're not being led by the spirit. You are being inspired and led by chemicals in your body. And you know, it's okay. I mean, if you're at this age, you don't have chemicals in your body, then you're, something's wrong. No, 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 no. As, you need to have chemicals in your body. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's normal. You need to have chemicals in your body. But you should understand that the chemicals should not dominate you. That's it. So don't feel that, ah, I'm not a Christian. Why am I feeling? If I'm a Christian, I should not be feeling. No, you have to feel. You feel. <laughs> you're a person, you're a human being. You feel, but you don't get, you don't move in that direction because you're feeling that way. Because anybody that will be led by their feelings cannot be leaders. Okay? You can't be a leader because you're led by your feelings. You can't submit to your feelings. You lead your feelings by your will. Okay? With your will. So, anyway. So, love means many things to many people. But let me say this to you. When the Bible talks about love, the Bible is talking about the Greek word agapao. And don't worry, this is not a Greek class. It basically means selflessness. That's what it means. Selflessness. So really today, oh, you know, you see a guy and a girl. You say, oh, my God, you know, they're talking. They're, you know, the girl is rolling her eyes. The guy is gesticulating. And, you know, you say, my God, oh, my God. They're in love. And you get depressed. What you're actually talking about that's not agapao. That's not the love the Bible is talking about. The Bible talks about that kind of love too. 
you know, the love between a man and a woman, it's called, it's, that love is called eros, or what today they call erotic love. Okay? That's the love that is chemical-induced, hormone-induced okay, feelings. This one is not the one the Bible is talking about. This one is talking about selflessness. In other words, actions that I am taking for the primary benefit of another person. That's love in the Bible. The actions that I'm taking or not taking for the primary benefit of another person. That's it. That's the love. Selflessness. So I asked you today, or, uh, you know, hey, hi, David, hi. How are you? You said I'm fine, I'm cool. How are you getting home, David? Uh, don't know. Uh, was going to hang out with Josiah, take me home, but kind of is left. Oh, still talking to a lady there, and I got to go home. I have exams tomorrow morning. Just hanging out with a lady there. Try to get him attention three or four times. He just dismissed me. All right. Um, where do you live? Uh, I live in Oakville. Okay, Oakville is west of Toronto. Um, but you know what? Ah, I'm going to Etobicoke, opposite direction. Mm, you know what? Okay, I'll drop it quickly. That's love. I'm taking the action now. It doesn't benefit me. I'm taking the action to primarily benefit him. Does it make sense to anybody here? That's love. That's Christian love. That's what the Bible talks about love. So the Bible says we should love one another. Now, part of the reason why we don't do that, let me tell you one of the reasons why we don't do that, is because I'll do that for David. Now, what will you expect David should do when he's coming out of my car? Come on, speak to me. What should he do? Say thank you. Don't worry about the side. Just drop that for me one minute. <laughs> Just thank you, right? All right. But you know what? David comes out of the car, bangs the door, and runs, goes into his house. And I'm left there thinking, oh God, why did I bring this man? I should never have done that. And I'm driving back to my house. I'm regretting I took the action. Then internally, I make a decision. I won't, be do, I won't do this again. I won't do this again. Now the Bible is telling us that that particular action that I took, remember we're talking about giving your life as a seed. I have sown a good seed by helping somebody to get from point A to point B when they couldn't get to that point in their life. I sowed a seed. His thank you is just the icing on the cake. If I get it, great. If I don't get it, awesome, because his thank you is not my reward. Are you still with me now, somebody? My reward is not coming from him because he is not a rewarder. He is a consumer of my seed, not a rewarder of my harvest. So he has consumed my seed. Let him take my seed and go to his house. So I now have to wait for the rewarder to give me the harvest that is commensurate with the seed that he consumed. Now, because he did not say thank you today and he has consumed a seed, tomorrow he might not have another seed to consume. But guess what? It actually works another way. He has also sown a seed. So tomorrow, anytime he now does anything for anybody, nobody says thank you. And he's surprised people are not saying thank you. Even when he gets married, he grows up, gives his students, they never say thank you. They say thank you. Oh, that, yes, thank you. Following day, they forget again. And he's wondering why. Because he sowed a seed of eating somebody's seed without showing gratitude. Do you understand that? Part of the main reason why we don't show love is because we think the people consuming our seeds are our rewarders. They are not. They are your rewarders. This is a very, you know, this, this thing, I'm, well, everything I'm sharing with you, I'm sharing with you from experience. When I first started as a pastor, I'm just so grateful to God for his mercy. And I also appreciate the people that were partakers and recipients of my rot. Rot. 
I was a very angry pastor. In the first few months. No, I, I mean, I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it at all. But I'm just leveling with you. That was just it. You know, I come to church. I'm trying to minister to the people. I didn't sleep. No, I wake up. Not that I didn't sleep. I'll probably go to bed around 10, 10 p.m. Wake up 2 a.m. This was the year 2000. Year 2000. So, my wife and I were very broke. So, we didn't have a laptop. Forget about, um, no laptop. We didn't have a desktop. Forget about the laptop. So, I, I couldn't write and um, type out my sermons. I have to write them out. And because of my own personal nature, I write this things out and I color code. As you can still see, I still carry the same mentality today. I still color code some of the things I want to say for emphasis purposes. So from 2 a.m., I'll worship God for one hour. I'll pray for two hours. That will take me to 5 a.m. in the morning. Then I will now start writing out. Now, I've done the sermon. I know what I'm preaching. But to write it out, I'll probably, one of these is come and show you those sermons. Write them out. I have different colors of pen. I will now write them out, write out the scripture, write out what I want to emphasize, underline, one with red, another one with blue, another one with green, and highlighters, highlight, highlight, highlight. So the whole papers that I'll use is all full. Then I'll come to church. So by, I'll finish that by maybe about, service was 10 a.m. then, at Living that Center. I'll, you know, I'll finish that, all of that by uh, maybe 7 a.m. Then I'll have my shower, pray for another one hour of worship, then come to church. Then I'll get to church, no, I've not slept. And there are going to be 15 people or so in church. Then I'm preaching, I'm preaching to these people. And it looks like maybe they're not really getting out there. Somebody or somebody walks in 30 minutes after I started preaching, coming in very late to church. I'm saying to myself, after I did not sleep. <laughs> and you are now strolling in like this. I just changed my sermon. I will be angry. Until one day, you know, God had to straighten me out. And after I repented, then God now explained it to me. You know, God is amazing. He explained it to me based on the Canadian or the, yeah, the Canadian health system, how it functions. Because I'm a pharmacist by training, so I could understand that easily. And God explained to me that. As a patient, if you go to see a doctor here in Canada, your family doctor, when you get there, imagine your family doctor getting very all upset and fighting with them say, you came in here last week, I did a complete physical for you, and you did not do this, you did not do that, you came in late, you did that, and suddenly getting upset with you. And even with all everything I did, anyway, you never appreciate anything, you don't even pay for the services and all of that. God said, what do you think is going to happen to that doctor? I said, well, apart from being disciplined and being reported, I said, no, what do you think is going to happen with that doctor? He's going to be out of business very soon. Why? The patient is not the one in the Canadian health system that is supposed to pay the doctor. The government of Ontario is the one that actually employs the doctor. So the, the doctor is serving the patient on behalf of the government. If the doctor has anything to complain, it's not, about the, it's not to the patient. It is to the government that sent him, that is acting on their behalf. So God said, I'm the one that sent you to these people. You just do the service, take your eyes off it. If you have any issue, come talk to me. That thing sorted it out for me from year 2000. That was it. So everything I'm doing here today, I'm doing it because there are patients that have come to sit before a family doctor. So whatever you get, whether you say thank you, you don't say thank you, you appreciate it, you don't appreciate it, it doesn't bother me. I dealt with all of that. If you collect all the baskets, collect the salmon, come from men to men, come to eat breakfast, come to get this, and it doesn't bother me at all. Why? Because he had told me, you are only consuming the seed. My reward is with the rewarder. Does it make sense to anybody? Anything you are doing. So don't get upset. Don't get upset. Don't say, oh, 
oh, you know what? Emmanuel says, oh, you know what? I stood there. I, I did a rehearsal for four or five days before I came here to sing. And I sang that song. And the guys were not even responding to the song I sang. No, they are not your rewarder. God is your rewarder. They are only consumers of your seed. So when you have this mindset, it enables you to love people that are unlovable. But also remember, the Bible says love people. It isn't like them. There's a difference. You can love people without liking them. You can look at somebody and you know, I don't really like you. But you know what? I have to love you. I have to love you, remember, is to take selfless actions that primarily benefit you. That does not mean that we have to be Siamese twins. If I'm going to watch a game of Raptors now, for example, I don't have to invite you to co come with me. I invite people that I like. I'm not talking of you personally now. Okay, don't get it wrong. I'm saying, you know, but you know what? If I see you stranded on the street or something, or, or you needed something, or you needed me to help you with a resume, something that will advance your life, I'll do it for you. I'll meet up with you in the Tim Martins, I'll do it for you. But that I want to go watch a game of basketball or so, and I have two tickets, and, you know, I, I take people that, are, that are like me. And I like them. See? So you don't have to be Siamese twins in everybody. You, but you have to love everybody. It is a commandment of God. You are sowing a seed when you love people. Come on, give Jesus some praise. So when we do that then, what we do, we're doing, when we're doing that, when we do that then, is that we're sowing the seed. And God is the rewarder. So in conclusion today, I want you to know this is very important as I conclude today and we continue next week. You have the power to decide your future by the decisions you make today regarding your seed. And the seed I've spoken about today is your life. You have the power. Don't let anybody deceive you. You have the power. You have the power to change your life. You don't like the way your life is today? Because can I say this to you? Your life is the way it sits today because of the seeds you sowed yesterday or somebody sold on your behalf. That's why your life is the way it is now. Okay? If you don't like what, what your life is right now, you can't, and uh, I don't want to get too much into the weeds now, you know, but let me leave it at this point for tonight, today. If you don't like what your today is, you can change what your tomorrow will look like by changing the actions you are taking today. If you modify your actions today, you're already automatically influencing your future tomorrow. You can make that decision today and say, you know what? I'm going to make God my highest priority. I'm going to make God my first priority. I'm going to sow my life as a seed to God. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ and follow him and give my life to Jesus. When I do that, you're sowing a seed. You've made a decision about what you want your future to look like. So you don't get into a future you didn't plan for. You don't get into a future you are not part of the decision-making process. You don't get into a future and be surprised. I will be deceiving you if I tell you that I'm surprised with where we are today as a, play, as a people. Well, I'm not, because it's based on the seed we sowed yesterday. Right now, we're sowing seeds again for what our tomorrow is going to look like. So, listen, friends. Some of you really need to take time to think this through. And some of you need to make some decisions today about how you want to really live this life. Please don't be deceived and think, oh, I've got a lot of time. I'm 21. The only time you have is today. Today is the day of salvation. What I mean by that is that today is the day you have to make a decision that will influence your tomorrow. Okay? You are not going to be able to influence tomorrow again tomorrow. You influence tomorrow when? Today. When it gets to tomorrow, you can only influence tomorrow. Okay? So today, today, you make a decision today, then you can influence your tomorrow. Yesterday is gone. It's not going to come back by any action. Don't stop crying over spilled milk. Stop crying over the guy that left you. It was God that, let, that pushed, closed that door because maybe it's not good for you. There are some things that you don't know that God knows. Don't cry about the girl that left you. Don't worry about that. There's some things that God knows that you don't know. You know, I, one of my girlfriends at the age of 23, I told her I was going to get married to the girl. Things were all going on very well. And, you know, everybody was, everybody was already saying, you know, like we're husband, husband and wife. I was already feeling like a husband. Can you imagine? At 23, God have mercy on me. But, 
But, you know, I look back to the other and say, if I'd married her, there's no doubt in my mind. I would never have been doing what I'm doing today. God called me to do what I'm doing today. She would have recalled me long ago. I would never come near anything to do with the pastor. For sure. For sure. For sure. You know. But God knows what he's, done, he's doing. You know. When I traveled to London, England to practice pharmacy, and she was still in the country of Nigeria, you know, I thought, oh my God, that relationship is not going to be working out. In those days, mobile phones, cell phones were not too ubiquitous as it is today. So I thought, oh my God, the relationship is not going to work out. That's one of the casualties of me taking this particular action. But I look back today with the benefit of hindsight, and I'm grateful to God she's found rest and peace. I found rest and peace. So sometimes when some doors close, you may think that this door has closed, you know, it's that painful. But you can influence your tomorrow so that it doesn't have pain. You can influence your tomorrow so that it can be productive. You can turn out by the decisions you make today. For most of you that are here today or watching online, I would love you today to make a decision to make God your first and highest priority. You're already Christians, but to make God Intentionally, I want to make you my first and highest priorities. Let's bow our heads.